This is Play by Playcast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play by play guys. For play by play guys, by I'm told, a play by play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now, here's the host of Play by Playcast, Todd Bodet. <laughs> Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay. Here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Episode 139 this week. Welcome back in. Thanks for the subscribe, the stream, the download. This is Play by Playcast. My name is Joel Godet, and this is the podcast about play by play broadcasters for play by play broadcasters, hosted by a play by play broadcaster, a professional development podcast that dives into the tips, tricks, experience, stories, process, and preparations of some of the biggest and best play-by-play announcers in the business. As always, you can find us on social media at PXPCast. I am at Joel Godet. Or you can shoot me an email at J-G-O-D-E-T-T at B-S-U dot E-D-U ratings and reviews. If you're listening this to, uh, listening this to, listening to this on iTunes or whichever uh, platform you have found it are always appreciated as well. Uh, this week we go to the college ranks and we talk with a guy who has been around for virtually every landmark event in Southern Illinois athletics history. He broadcast the one double a then football national championship in 1983. When he was in college, he broadcast the Southern Illinois trip to the 1977 college world series. He was the broadcaster of course, in 2002 when they made their um, improbable sweet 16 run with Bruce Weber as head coach. And then he was, Again, the broadcaster in 2007 when they made a Sweet 16 run that very nearly was an Elite 8 run as well. Uh, They had the ball in a one-possession game and got an offensive rebound, um, but then turned it over in the last couple of seconds um, against the Kansas Jayhawks in the Sweet 16 that year. Uh, Mike Reese has been around the block for 40 years. This is his 40th year as voice of the Southern Illinois Salukis. Um, and not just that, but he went to Southern Illinois and then right out of Southern Illinois got involved in Southern Illinois broadcasting. So he went to school there and has never left. Uh, and, and you'll hear his passion and his love for Carbondale and that institution as we chat here. Uh, but it's an interesting perspective as well, because for 40 years he has seen it all. He has seen everyone who has come through. Uh, and he's found a way to both keep the job fresh and to keep himself fresh in that role uh, over the course of four decades. Uh, so an interesting conversation this week with Mike Reese, who has also been, because of his position, because of the amount of time he's been there, um, kind of the the grandfather of a lot of talent that has come through Southern Illinois as well. Um, and they've, they've got a really good broadcasting program. Obviously, he's a he's a part of that. Uh, but a ton of guys have come through Southern Illinois. We talk a lot about Syracuse on this podcast just because I went there and a lot of guests are from there. But Southern Illinois is kind of one of those under-the-radar type-ish uh, places. I, I don't know how under-the-radar is. It's pretty on-the-radar. Um, but but uh, one of those places that probably should get more attention for the broadcasters that it churns out, including Sean Kelly, um, who's the New Orleans Pelicans voice. He's been so for, for 12 years with that franchise, with that organization. Um, so let's dive right into it. With Off the Top, 40 years is a long time. Uh, Mike Reese, our guest on Play by Playcast this week, 
Did he ever anticipate when he got the job that 40 years later he would be the beloved voice of the Southern Illinois Salukis? I hope to be the voice of SIU for 40 minutes is probably what my uh, – because I was 22 at the time, and um, and certainly at 22 we all think we have all the answers, and I was no different. And um, I got the job, Joel, two days after I graduated. Now, it's a little bit different now. Well, it's a lot different now. At that time, there were two, three, and sometimes four radio stations doing SIU's games. And I was working part-time at, at a station that was not doing the games, but was the kind of like the flagship or heritage station in Carbondale, WCIL. Mm. And the guy who hired me uh, got frustrated because we were one of the few stations that wasn't doing the games. And so he quit and moved back to Chicago, George Hoffman. And uh, a couple of days later, they, uh, the CIL people decided to do the games, and then they offered me the gig. And uh, and I uh, and took it, and, uh, and one year led to another, and suddenly it's at five, and then it's ten, and then, uh, whoa, they slap you in the face, and it's forty years, and uh, so no, it's um, no, I never would have thought that at the start. Now I did know this, I did know that I had uh, a major goal right out of college. I, I I was cognizant of that, and I knew that I had one of only about th- at the time three hundred twenty-five Division One play-by-play gigs. And so I I was a very appreciative of that, and I knew I had something special, and I knew I had accomplished something early, but I never thought it would last this long. So, no. You know, I, I saw an interview you had done where you said basically that sometimes you're where you're supposed to be, um, yeah. and that you know opportunities have come and gone over the the course of forty years. But why do you think that all told, your heart always said I'm in the place where I'm supposed to be. Because this was, an, uh, in the end, when your heart doesn't make the decision, Joel, in the end, the smart ways to make decisions, which are all the facts um, in a situation and not where your heart tugs the most, and this is my school. Uh, this isn't an emotional decision. Uh, I have a tremendous passion for Southern, but that's not why I'm still here. In the end, the jobs that I was up for, the opportunities that may or may not have been there, weren't any better than what I had, and especially early in my career. Um, I interviewed at Illinois when they had four stations and had a chance to do that, but they were going to exclusive rights within a year, and could I, at whatever I was at that time, 24, 25 years old, could I have been the guy, or would they have gone with a more established person? So you have to look at things from a business standpoint, and the one thing I'm proud of, Joel, is that our I think our broadcasts sound uh, bigger than the market that we are in. I think uh, for the people who are listening to this who've never heard us, your first inclination would be to stereotype Carbondale as a as a town of twenty thousand and a and a school of fourteen thousand. That that's got to be small market stuff. That uh, they're just barely getting by with equipment and with talent. But then I think you'd be totally surprised once you listen. And whoever has owned uh, the rights to SIU Radio in the 40 years I've been around it, be it the radio stations, be it Learfield right now in conjunction with SIU, uh, they have put the resources into these broadcasts. And that means I have, I have solid people working with me. And we have a lot of the same color people that we've had 
for at least 20 years. And most people don't do those games for free. And so we have the resources to get good people. We have good equipment. Our, our sound is major market and has always been the cutting edge of the technology of that time with the exception of with one exception. And so we travel well. And uh, so it's good to work here. And now when I compare what I have and, and compare it with whatever I may have had, this always seemed to come ahead. And it's not like they always gave me more money every time I look somewhere else, because that wasn't the case. It's just that this is a better situation. It's always been important. And um, as a consequence, we've gotten good people and it's been a good place to be. So for business reasons, more than anything, uh, I've been here for 40 years. It's been better than what I could have gotten. You know, I think about that from uh, you know a local standpoint here in Muncie too. Like the the morning show host on the the top forty station that carries our games has been here forever, um, and is I I think most people would tell you a bigger market talent than where he is at. Uh, but it's mm-hmm. one of those things where he stayed here and it's been a good place for him and it's grown and, and and they care. And I think that it's like the caring aspect. There's it's a smaller market, but it's important to the people because of that. Um, is that what makes it? Uh, a really great place to be is that listen it's you're in Carbondale but everybody cares because it's the local sure. and they want it to be good it's the deal and uh, it's the thing here and especially Saluki basketball and it is very very special you you're a big fish in a small pond when Saluki basketball really is rolling and I've had the uh, the good fortune to be around that and uh, I'm not so sure that there are many places bigger or smaller than here that when you are the prime topic in a town and you're succeeding that um that it isn't it doesn't just go to your head and you're so hyped to do the job every day even when there isn't uh, a game and uh sure in the end you make career decisions based on the business aspect of it and uh and what's best for you from a business standpoint and try to be as cold about it as you can but having said that you can't be at a place where it is just great business-wise and you're just freaking miserable all the time. You, know, you can't go to that extreme either. And I want this place to win. I want to be part of this place when it wins. And this place is special when it wins. In the meantime, the things that really help that all come together are also good here. And so now, now the intangibles have a little bit of foundation. Once you get beyond the business decisions and then get into the heart stuff, like the passion for this place, which I have. I went to school here and uh, really haven't been anywhere else. And um, and so I want it to succeed. And I get mad when it gets in the way of its own self, which uh, it frequently does, as mid-major schools frequently do. They tend to get in their own way, and that's why they don't succeed as much as they probably should. And so, um, and then you like all of the things that go with it. And in, and in our case, not only are the things good to make the broadcasts good, but their success and there's fan interest when the team succeeds. And then the other things that are involved in broadcasting with the radio television department here, now with ESPN3 and ESPN Plus and the advent of video boards and all of the toys, uh, those things become fun too, and that adds to the experience. On that note, um, this might be part of the answer, uh, but how do you over 40 years, and I, I guess a two-pronged approach here, uh, how do you keep it fresh from the standpoint of not falling into the trap of well this is what we've always done as a as a yeah. as a network and and finding ways to keep and push and uh, be a little bit more cutting edge is cliche but 
that side of things. And then for yourself personally, um, how have you felt yourself continuously evolve over 40 years of a career to, to keep yourself on, on that edge? Well, first of all, you can't let yourself get in your own way. And so I think that, not that I planned this out, I think maybe it's just part of my personality and, and the way I am. You have to be able to... Um, you have to be able to grow, and then you have to be excited about the growth and not be afraid of that. I won't. I am not fast to change, but and if you wanted to say, Reese, you're slow to change. I'm not going to argue with you there, but I do change, and you have to almost just to survive. Think of all the technolo- technological changes over the last five years, let alone the last forty years. Yeah. It's it's amazing, but. The thing, I guess, um, you have to find your niche. Uh, I think I still like being a credible voice for Southern Illinois University. I don't think that um, while people would say I want Southern to win, I I would be disappointed if somebody thought I was a homer because that means that uh, I'm glossing over Southern's weaknesses. And I don't think that happens, and maybe to a fault I don't gloss, gloss over them. I think we tell the truth on the broadcast. And I, I, I started as a reporter, and that's my background, and, and uh, that's at the heart of everything that I do. And while I'm for SIU, I say it, but I don't belabor it. And by that I mean when Southern is good, I don't make them out to be Duke. When Southern is bad, I don't make them out to be the 353rd team. When guys are in trouble, when they're suspended, when the coach is on the hot seat, when things aren't right, when the team stinks, when the theme is good, um, I think that we say those things, but we don't belabor those things as well. And I think fans know when they tune in that that they are getting credible voices, whether it's me or whether it's somebody else, because we fortunately have the freedom to say the truth. I'm not so sure. I'm not convinced that I would get a job now, given my style. And at 62 years old, it's, <laughs> it's not a young person's game anymore. Joel, this game is is uh, is yours. This game is Connor Onions at our place. This game is Luke Martin at Indiana State. You guys are the up and comers, and and some of you are already there. Well, why so, do you say that stylistically? That maybe you wouldn't get a job nowadays. Because that way? I think because I think that the people doing the hiring want to lean toward the homers, and they don't want people who might say something that they have to explain later mm-hmm. because you are expected to be a company man. Whereas I think I've built up enough credibility that when I say something or report a story, I, I'm not going to report just the company line. I'm proud of the fact that in 40 years, uh, Joel, that uh, there's only been four times where we've had a controversial situation or some sort of issue, and what I have said is not what I knew. I knew more than what I said, and I'm not proud of that, but I am proud of the fact that it's only four and 40 years. Mm -hmm. I don't know that many people say that now. They know more than, uh, especially television people, especially people who don't do one team's games. And I think that's a major difference. I do one team's games. And so when Saluki fans tune in, my goal is that when Reese and the people that work with Reese say something, it's true. 
no matter what else may be saying. And 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 I'm proud of the fact that, uh, with the exception of those four times when we say something that it is true, and it may not it may not be comfortably true for the people involved or for what the announcers are expected, because I think the expectations are different now. Then you listen to somebody and say, that can't be true because they want him to be a homer and they want him to gloss it over. And I think that's a fan's expectation, and I think now that's an employer's expectation, and, and that's too bad, but because it's because the people getting hired to do these games now don't have reporter backgrounds. I, I saw a quote. It was an interview you did, too, where you were talking about Jerry Kill, uh, former mm-hmm. football coach there, Northern Illinois as well. He was in the MAC for a while, um, Minnesota, uh, most notably. Um, but you said Jerry respected the job you did and how you did it, which is different than most coaches might prefer. Is that what well, you're talking I, about, too? Yes, yes, um, because um, because the the preference is that you never get challenged. The preference is that your broadcaster never challenges you on a decision you've made, be it within a game or a roster or um, suspension or any of those things that they're always towing the company line and you don't have an opinion on your own. And um, But you have to earn that credibility with a Jerry Kill and with the other coaches. And I feel like I did that, and I was fortunate early in my career because I was around a lot, because I asked a lot of questions, because I wasn't just a kid who showed up at game time, that I wanted to learn, and I wanted to learn from the people that were in charge at SIU, and I think that got me some slack for when I screwed up. Hard work will do that all the time. And um, so, yeah, that's what I mean. And uh, I'm not sure that... And I think in the end, Joel, when you talk about people who have had one job for for many, many years, you can say, well, he, his bosses have to like him. And that's true. And, and Jerry Kill does like me. He's the athletic director at Southern now. Um, and uh, and he does respect me. And I respect him. And, and respect is important to me, more, sh- more so than friendship. But before I get too far, of course, what I'm saying is, it it doesn't matter if Jerry Kill likes me, um, Barry Hinson likes me. It it I said that wrong. It does matter. But in the end, if you're going to be at a place for 40 years, the fans have to like you, because no matter how strong your political support is, if the people who are listening and the people who um, are being marketed to don't like you, it doesn't matter how politically connected you are, you won't or you shouldn't have the job for that long. And I think by taking a fan's first approach, which I think we do, uh, that's helped us uh, survive 40 years and, and really kind of thrive at the place that we're supposed to thrive at. Feel free to peel any names off of this. Um, have you ever had a coach not like you? <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, I, and I don't want to get into name listing. No, 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 for two reasons. Not Number one, that person, if he heard it, might say, well, "I really did like him." What the <laughs> hell is he saying? Um, or uh, number two, I don't want to leave somebody out. <laughs> so yes, that's that's the case, and they still don't like me. Um, you said Bruce Weber revitalized your career at one point. Yes. Uh, why is that though? Well, um, it has to do with context. Um, he followed Rich Heron who coached for 13 years, won, had winning teams, seven of them, had uh, postseason teams, five of the seven, had NCAA teams, 93 through 95. And Southern would be a Division II program if his program didn't succeed. And he's from Southern Illinois, and he and I are 
are very good friends. And so he kept this a Division One job. I don't make 40 years if his program doesn't succeed because I hope I would have gone elsewhere because at that point in my career, I certainly wanted to stay at, uh, at Division One. But it wasn't fresh anymore. A- after that run where they went to the NCAAs, Joel, they, they, uh, they went back under 500, had, had a couple of recruiting misses, and it just didn't work. And when a, a local legend is – is on the hot seat. It's just not. Uh, it's just not pleasant because there's too many lines drawn in the sand. Mm. And um, um, plus, we had slipped in some areas. The the Division One game was changing in terms of facilities and how programs um, were built. And 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 Bruce Weber brought in uh, those ideas from Purdue, where he'd spent about 20 years as an assistant. And he had tremendous energy, and um, and he just he revitalized the program, and as a consequence, uh, my job is better and it's more important, and everybody thinks I'm better when Southern's winning, and and so we started winning again, and it was fun to be around it. I re-listened to every interview I did with Weber because I always learned something that I didn't hear the first time, either pre or post. And um, and it really was just a fun time. Crowds started to come back, and uh, because the last three years of the Coach Heron um, uh, deal had had started to wear on me, I needed something, some adrenaline or something. And and uh, Coach Weber, whose whose respect I earned and uh, whose friendship I still have, um, had a lot to do with that with the success of his program and the people that he brought in. You know, one time he had forehead what would turn out to be four head coaches on his staff. It was really a tremendous time. Uh, he also got you guys to the Sweet 16. Yeah, and that's part of the revitalization <laughs> too. And the Chicago, the the 2002 Sweet 16. Look, let's never let's never downplay winning. Uh, a lot of the people that uh, everybody looks up to as broadcasters uh, probably has uh, winning, doing a winning team or an important game. If they're a, a, a neutral television broadcaster who does a bunch of teams, um, a big moment like that probably propels them. And, and the Sweet 16, the first one in 2002, there was another one in 2007 when Chris Lowry was the coach. But the one in 2002 uh, was the first time uh, that Southern was really on a big, big stage that I was part of. And um, and uh, that that is my favorite broadcasting moment for sure. Why? What a, what a, what well, about it was cool? Just and, well, and it just in that is, that one, ahead, but sorry. also that that one, but also like just the NCAA tournament in general. Not everyone gets to go to that. Um, so to no. be in that atmosphere and then to have the success there. Yeah, and Southern hasn't been there since 2007, so we were clearly spoiled between 2002 <laughs> and 2007. And you talk about not everybody gets to go, man. Once you go, that doesn't mean you go again. And um, uh, look, uh, as a student, I did the College World Series in 1977 and I did it solo, and was petrified. It was the first real experience that I had. I threw up. The college right? World. Yeah, I threw up. Right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and. Um, uh, I was that nervous and brought back the guy who didn't get the job who had hired me. I brought him back on a freelance basis to help me on the broadcast. Unfortunately, George did it. But uh, but the College World Series then, Joel, isn't the College World Series now. It's just a bigger deal now, largely because of television. Mm-hmm. And uh, Southern won the national championship in football in 83. But even that level of football 
isn't um, now what it was then. It's bigger now. And so even the mid-90s when Southern went to the NCAAs, the Salukis weren't – the NCAA, at least for Southern, wasn't as big as it would prove to be later. And certainly the tournament is, is bigger now. But in 2002 is when the tournament really became huge. Southern played – at uh, the United Center in Chicago and had great crowds. Plus, Illinois was in that uh, regional, too, as was Southern's arch rival at the time, Creighton. So there were great crowds there. And um, and so now all of a sudden that stage and then the following week when at the time Jim Nance and, and Billy Packer or Dick Enberg and Billy Packer were the, uh, the, the top announcers and they're calling Southern's game on TV against UConn in the Sweet 16. That was just a head-spinning week. And so that's the first time that Southern was on any sort of national, truly national high-profile uh, deal that I was in around, uh, around for. And, uh, and that's why I'll never forget it, and that's why it's number one. Were you nervous for those, I mean, obviously at that, that time. Point, no, yeah. I don't. I don't think I was nervous at, at uh, Syracuse in the UConn game in the Sweet 16. I think nervous is the right word. Um, other than that, uh, I think anxious is a better word. I think earlier in your career, you're nervous uh, because while you're confident, you're just not quite totally sure how you're going to do in the biggest moment. Uh, but at that point in my career, um, in 2002, you know, I'm in my uh, 40s, late 40s at the time. And so uh, from that standpoint, emotionally, I could deal with it better. But certainly you're anxious. You don't sleep. You get up and, and you go through all sorts of scenarios in your mind about what could happen. How do you handle games like that? Because even, you know, I've, I've been doing this long enough, but I'm still a young whip, whippersnapper. Um, that, mm-hmm. that when you play in, in big games or when something is a big game to you, those juices start flowing in you a little bit. And you have to settle yourself down because at the end of the day, like you have to be able to perform um, right in in a right. performance, um, how how would you settle those nerves or or those that that antsiness or that anticipation or whatever it might be, um, so that you can ultimately do the job you would do if it was game two of the year against Western Illinois. Yeah, I, I wish I had a um, a surefire way, but but I don't. I I think I just let experience do that, and and um, I got better at it as as I got older and did better in bigger game uh, situations, uh, I think the most important thing that you can do is make sure that you're prepared, you're not frozen by your preparation, but make sure that you're prepared so that when something happens historically, you're not fishing for it. I think you have to be ready for that so you can say that at a moment's notice. Um, first time your team has done this since that when something happens. And I think those things are key in terms of trying to do the job in a what could be a historical moment uh, for your school. But uh, I, I didn't know that early. And um, and so I have a feeling in bigger moments I, I scream more intelligently <laughs> I, uh, uh, than I did maybe early. I don't peak the meter quite as much. Uh, hopefully still with the same passion, hopefully say it with less words because those are the best calls. If, um, if you, if it takes you, I'm proud of the fact that if it takes somebody 30 words to say it, I can probably say it in 15, but I couldn't do that early. Um, I think that all that sort of stuff. And I think if, if you've seen a lot, then you react appropriately. And, uh, 
but to think that there's some magic formula or wand or um, deep breathing exercise or something like that uh, that would help with something like that, I'm not aware of it. Um, I just know that I'm my maddest in a big moment. And even now, like the other night at the uh, at the end against uh, uh, against Drake the other night here in Carbondale, it came down to a final play, and uh, I might as well have been in my fourth year instead of my 40th. I just didn't call it well, not as well as I should have called it. And um, uh, so there's no guarantees, and part of, part of why I didn't call it well is I didn't see it well. And uh, not because anybody blocked me. I just didn't. I wasn't looking at the right things. And um, and it, that should have started with knowing Southern's tendencies. I should have known where the ball was likely to go. And had I done that and looked where I should have looked, I would have called it better. And I realized that right away. But in the end, the most important thing in those moments is not what sort of historical context um, what sort of um, passion you can bring to it so that your cut may be played for the ages or something like that as, as can frequently happen in the big moment, but you just have to call the damn play right and get it right. And, and if the game's over, say it's over, but not have to backtrack and say there's really 2.2 seconds left or something like that. You you just have to be ready to do those things right. And if you do those things right, then I think the rest of it comes together. How did you get the ability to go from 30 words to 15? Uh, by being a reporter, because I had to write three-minute sportscasts. I think that's the most important thing. And then also enjoying listening to people who could make a major impact with just a few words. Um, a guy like uh, Paul Harvey could say a word and pause and it would have more impact than somebody saying 20 words rapidly or screaming 20 words, at least to me. Jack Buck, who is one of my heroes, could call a play um, with a paucity of words, I like to say. And um, other people could, too. I don't know that the people that um, need a lot of words to say something are the people that in the end truly have any sort of lasting integrity. And I think if you really break people down, it's can they say something quickly, briefly, especially with everybody's attention span these days. When I first started, uh, we did 15-minute sportscasts. So, but who would listen to that now? And you'd have sound bites that went a minute 15 because the sportscast went 15 minutes. So attention spans are much different now. And, um, and, you, and you have to be able to, to, uh, to change with, uh, with that. But in the end, I think those are the most effective people because they can say it succinctly and, and then at the same time maybe get an oh wow factor with that. And it's not so much because of the hot take. It's because of or your opinion but it's because of how you said it, and you said it briefly and factually, and, and that got everybody's attention. But I think reporting is has a big deal to do with that, and then listening to to other people, and, and, and you know when you say it, whether it took you too long to say it. And uh, uh, I think that's the thing I talk to young broadcasters uh, the most about it. I'm more impressed when you can say it succinctly than I am uh, with the, the volume level that you say it. In addition to that, and this might be a hard introspective question, um, but why would you say that people say Mike Reese is a really great broadcaster and you're in the St. Louis 
brought you know Hall of Fame and and why do why do you think you've developed the reputation in the eyes of the fans um, beyond what we talked about in terms of working for the fan and being honest with them? But when they hear what you guys put on the air, they say that's good and that's right. Well, a lot of it has to do, I think, with being a familiar voice, and I think we're all the same way as fans. You feel comfortable hearing um, a similar voice, the same voice, for a lot of years. But I still think it comes back to those things, Joel, is, 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 is the person reliable? Is the person credible? And with credible being the most important. And then, is he reliable? And by reliable, uh, I mean not just being there all the time, but but being right more than he's wrong about the information about the squad. Um, and is he for your team? Now, whether you're a reporter or whether you work for the place and, and the place wants you to say we and be a cheerleader, um, regardless of, of which end of the spectrum you come up, and, and both, are, uh, both are fine. Both, you can have great careers doing both. It's all about being who you are and being comfortable within your own skin. But for me, I think Saluki fans are savvy. I think they're suspicious. I think they believe they can coach. <laughs> I think they believe they know the game. And in, in terms of basketball, SIU fans really know the game and they're savvy and you can't BS them. You just can't. And if you do, and you do it for a long time, they really get PO'd at you. So I think I'm a perfect match for this fan base. And then at the same time, they're fans. They want their team to win, and they don't want you ripping Joe Smith all the time. They just want you to tell the truth. I always say I'd, I have this um, um, this um, I don't know. Fear is a little too dramatic, Joel, but but it concerns me that if I keep saying like this year's Saluki team is twelve and thirteen. If I keep saying this team's about to break through and come watch this squad and all this other stuff, and then you come out and watch them and they play like they've played in half these games, what the hell? Why am I going to believe that guy? Yeah. Why am I going to believe that guy? Or if uh, if I say that uh, a certain player, there's nothing to this suspension, don't worry about it, it's a violation of team rules, and the next thing you know, the guy's in jail, and he's been arrested, and uh, and there's plenty of issues coming. Then I'm not going to believe anything I say after that either. So what would so you? What would are you, we credible? What would you say in that instance then? What would I say if if the person's been arrested? I got to find a way to say that. Okay. And right now, you you uh, for something that dramatic, you have to be able to say that. You just can't say violation of team rules, and then. Anybody worth uh, his or her salt as a reporter find out that the player's been arrested? I, I, I just don't. Does it? I don't see that. Does it matter if you're employed by the school and/or the radio station sure in a situation does. like that? Sure, it does. And your employer will tell you what to say. Yeah. But you hope that you do a good enough job to sell what you're comfortable doing. Pl- Look, there's plenty of people, Joel, in this business who want are are totally comfortable in their skin. Uh, being a mouthpiece for the or- mouthpiece for the organization, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just not built that way. I'm not a very good liar, and I'm not a- even very good at stretching the truth and helping to buy myself time. Especially now at 62, I could do that better <laughs> a few years ago. I'm just not comfortable with that. I feel guilty, man. 
that's my Catholic grade school, I guess, coming out. I just feel guilty, the guilty conscience. And uh, so I'm not built that way. But, but yeah, if you, if you work for the organization and the organization says, uh, look, here's a perfect example. Uh, well, a good example. Sean Kelly worked for us. He does the New Orleans Pelicans radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you don't think the Anthony Davis thing mm-hmm. is a topic there? And so he works for us, and so you've got an idea how I work. Well, the other people, that's the atmosphere I created. We want to tell the truth within the parameters. And uh, But what if the ball club tells him, we don't want you talking about us trying to trade him and what we did with the Lakers and who we talked about? Uh, you're not going to talk about that. But, 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 I, but I, this is why I can't. you're not going to talk about that. And I don't know, but I'm just citing that as an example because I felt for him right out of the chute because I know what I'd want to talk about mm. on the broadcast. Now, you can't do it every game, but I bet that they told him he couldn't do it one game. And um, so, and he also does games for ESPN, ESPN Radio. So, and everybody talks to everybody, and it's, uh, it's a much smaller world than people might imagine. And people know people, and I'm not going to hire that guy because I told him not to say it, and he did. And look, I'm just speculating on Sean. I don't know this is sure, fact, sure. but, but this it, is a current moment. This is a current thing. And it could be different if you're doing a game for ESPN Radio where you would want to say something, exactly. but you can't and, say and, it on. Right. And he, and in his case, he's been there quite a few years, so he might get more latitude hmm. than you might get in your first year there, or I might get in my first year there. And uh, so um, that's why there's no, I probably should throw this in, there's no hard and fast rule other than I do think whichever end of the, uh, end of the uh, spectrum you come out on, you just have to be comfortable doing that because in the end, the listeners can tell whether they're being lied to or whether they're being told the truth. And uh, if you always have to worry about what lies you've told and mm-hmm. all this other stuff, um, you're all, you're eventually going to screw up, and uh, so just be who you are. And I think that's the most um, important thing for anybody in whatever profession, because people can see through phonies. I know you've uh, you're you're a big jackpot guy. I know you said that. Um, right. I know you've also chauffeured him around when he came to campus. Is that true? Yeah, I was a student. Yeah, um, he, uh, <laughs> best piece like? of advice. Yeah, well, best piece of advice. I was a chauffeur. Yes, and. Uh, uh, so I drove him from spot to spot, and the guy who booked him knew that Jack was my hero. So, by being a driver, I could get uh, I could get to talk to my hero one on one, because everywhere he went, he was going to be um, he was just surrounded by a ton of people. And um, and that was the year that Southern went 0 and 16 in the Missouri Valley Conference, Joel, and it was a miserable year. The coach got fired before the season was over with, and I said. Uh, I said, Jack, what do you do when your team stinks? And he said for a second, and then this is how tight we were. He called me Mark. He said, <laughs> he said Mark, be better than the team. And I thought, you know what? That's a pretty good philosophy, whether your team is good or not. Be better than the team. And uh, I've always uh, – I've always remembered that. That's the that's the one bit of direct advice he gave me, and I would see him a couple of times after that. And um, he was just 
he sounded the same way off the air as he sounded on the air. And I always think that's when you're the best communicator you can be. When somebody comes up to you, Joel, and says, you know what, you sound the same. You're the same way off the air as you are on the air. Mm -hmm. I think that's an amazing compliment because it means that you're communicating as well as you can possibly communicate. And I think Buck did that. I think Harry Carey did that. Um, I think uh, Buck's son does that. And um, because then you know you're maxing your talents. Have you ever had the temptation um – in 40 years to make a jump to television or what is it that you truly like about the uh the purity i guess of radio and and being able to do what you know what we just talked about on radio well i suppose if i pushed some things here with the advent of espn3 and plus um that i would do that and you could argue that um for what they pay me that's what i should do if um now the radio rights holders might be mad, <laughs> but uh, and and I, that certainly is an important part of it. But that's been discussed here, and I think if I push that, that's what would happen for for the home games anyway. Um, and and I would understand that, but I haven't pushed that. Um, um, it it just hasn't been important enough to me. I I think that uh, maybe it's uh, being comfortable. Uh, everybody likes to be comfortable because when you're comfortable, you're confident. Uh, and, uh, I'm more confident on radio than I am on television. I could think I could get confident and comfortable on, on television. Now, if some, if someone had come to me or was interested in me from outside of the market at a quote unquote bigger situation in television, I think that perhaps would have happened, but it's just not been that important to me to push it. Plus, Joel, it's been lucrative enough for me to stay with what I have. And now with the advent of social media and and me getting into it enough, I can share this stuff that we do on radio. And we do quite a bit, uh, certainly for our market size and certainly for any market size uh, with pregame stuff and interviews and things like that. I can share that with Saluki fans all over the world. And that's an important and positive uh, change in terms of um, of the technology, and so those things I all I'll like, and I know I could do all those things with television, but there still seems to be an impact with radio, the audio side, audio streaming, and all that other stuff, and uh, that helps me too. And uh, and then of course somebody has to want you to do it. I mean, I think, like I said, I think here they would if if I pushed it. Nobody's really broached the subject really seriously, but. Um, but in the end, uh, you know, you got to have some place to go. And I like to joke that one of the reasons I've been here for 40 years is nobody else has hired me. So, um, you know, that offer hasn't been there, uh, hasn't been there either. But you also have to seek that stuff. And I've, I've been more day to day than I've been uh, long range. I'll end on this note with you um, and talking about, I guess, the purity of radio. Uh, last week on this podcast, um, we were talking with Donnie Barnes um, about things that are most important to a call of his baseball. And he talked about uh, the pitch always being first and having the, the way to keep the game, the, the broadcast focused truly on the game, even though the stories uh, become very important in that medium. Um, mm-hmm. And if you want to go baseball, uh, we can go that route. But I guess if we're in basketball season, what, what what's important to you most technically um, to calling a really good game and being as on point and informative as you can be? Score, time, and where is the ball? 
I think if you can answer those three questions within two minutes of somebody tuning in, you're doing your job. After that, the takes and the analysis and all that other stuff, they fill in wherever you think they're most important. But um, I think when pe- when you tune in to a game, especially now in the advent of you can't watch a game without seeing the score in the corner, the first thing you want to know is what's the score. You may want to know it before you even figure out who's playing when you turn the game on. So what is the score? How much time is left? And now when I'm confident as a listener that I've got both of those pieces of information, can I follow the darn ball? Or is every play a surprise? Is the color analyst talking up to the shot? And the play-by-play person can't set up the shot, let alone tell you where the shot came from. Um, I think those are the three most important things, and that's how I judge it. After that, I get comfortable with um, what the person is saying, how he or she is saying it and um and uh, what sort of analysis they're they're providing but i think we're all we're we're the only thing we have is our credibility in this business and second of all we're basically audio scoreboards joe i don't want to oversimplify what we're doing but if you if you'll do that if you'll if you'll master the boring if I always know when I tune into Joel, I'm going to find out the score and I'm going to find out the time quickly. Now I'll just lock in and see how he's calling it. Mm. And now I'll become a fan. But if I'm mad because I don't know who the hell's winning and how much time is left, now it's going to be hard for me to give you or anybody in that position a chance or myself a chance. Biggest criticism I got early in my career, Reese, I understand all the stats. They've done this six times. They've, he's got this many points in the last three games. He's averaging this. But what the hell is the score? And how many fouls does Smith have? Mm. That's what I want to know. Now, that's not as critical now for in some areas, but, but we have a lot of TV people doing radio now, and it's, it's, you can get lazy because television is doing a lot of that stuff for you. And so for radio, I want to hear score. I want to hear time. And then I want to be able to follow the ball. And those are the three most important uh, things, in my opinion. Mike, if people want to uh, listen to you or find you on social media, uh, how do they track you down? At Mike Reese, S-I-U, R-E-I-S, at Mike Reese, S-I-U, on Twitter. And I'm on Facebook as well. I'm on Instagram, but I might as well not be (laughs) because I don't do much. And SIUSalukis.com is the place to – and tune in are the two places to best listen if you'd like to listen to a game. And, and SIUSalukis.com, there are links to, to uh, both spots for broadcasts. All right, that is Mike Reese joining us. If you try to find him on social media, by the way, make sure you have the SIU in there because there is a Mike Reese that doesn't have the SIU in there. And if you follow him, you'll get a lot of New England Patriots news. Um, so, uh, slight distinction there. I liked his approach, though, that he talked about toward the front half of the podcast. Being honest with your listener, and it's a really interesting line to walk as broadcasters. And you can hear the, you know, the journalist in him. Um, you know, how, how truthful can you be when you know more but really can't or shouldn't or maybe should say more? And how you handle those situations, how you handle tricky situations, uh, how, how you're just honest to fans if what you're seeing is good, bad, or indifferent. Um, but on that note too, I I think if you take nothing else from this podcast, the line from Jack Buck that he brought up toward the end, 
regardless of the performance on the field of the team that you work for or the team that you don't work for. Uh, just be better than the team. Like, have that be your goal. Whatever product the team puts on the field or the court or whatever, uh, if it's not a good day, you have a good day. And if they have a good day, you have a great day. You know, be mentally exhausted after doing a game, even on a bad day, because you put in the effort to tell that story and to paint that picture, um, even if it wasn't a Renoir. I think that's a good way to... uh, to wrap things up and to uh, to lead into next week. Many thanks to Mike Reese for joining us this week on Play by Play Cast. Until next week, I'm Joel Gadette, the music is Marshmallow, and we are out. And that will do it from St. Louis, where the score is inconclusive.